The Denver Nuggets wrap up a five-game win streak or five-game road trip with a win going three and two. What did we learn from that win streak? Some notes on the win over the Wizards and then an updated look at the standing and some harsh truths about the standings in the West that are facing the Denver Nuggets. This is Locked on Nuggets. You are Locked on Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to Locked on Nuggets, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from thednvr.com. Matt Moore has the day off. He's not feeling too well. He might miss the rest of the week, to be honest with you, so I might solo. He soloed for me while I was up uh, out of town over the weekend. I'll probably be slow soloing to round out the week, and I got a win to talk about today. The Nuggets um, beating the Washington Wizards. As I mentioned, we're also going to talk about uh, takeaways from the general trip um that i have jotted down here some of the things that i feel like we learned and what was in some ways a sneaky important road trip for the nuggets we'll go over all of that and then later on of course we'll talk about the standings we appreciate you making this your first listen each and every day we're free and available wherever you get podcasts don't forget to rate review and subscribe on spotify or apple Podcasts or whatever it is you listen to podcasts all right um let's talk about this game really quick i don't want to go i'm not going to do full notebook on it um, I don't know if it warranted it, to be honest. I think the takeaways from this game are a little bit more obvious than 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 most games. Uh, it was the last game of a road trip. The Wizards were on the second night of a back-to-back, and Denver had two days off. So Denver had not just a small rest advantage, but a big rest advantage coming into this game. And then on top of that, you have Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma, who are both out. So you're talking about a team in the Wizards whose season effectively it was over coming into the game. It's certainly over now as they go four games back in the loss column of the play-in. So they are already probably demoralized, you know, their season realistically not having that great of a chance. They were down two players and they were on the second night of a back-to-back. This was a pretty um, – Denver should have won this game and they did win this game. But, uh, I don't want to call it a gimme, but it was cl- as close to a gimme as you're going to get for the final game of a road trip. To start this game, Porzingis was on fire. I don't know if there's anything to make of this. Porzingis has had a very good year. Um, he's playing well. And when he gets to take the shots that he got to take without Bill and Kuzma in the lineup, you know, you're going to be able to, um, you know, you're going to have a green light all night. And he had a green light and he was knocking them down from all over the court, fallaways, elbow touches, post touches, drives, finishes over Jokic, finishes over Aaron Gordon, finishes over Michael Porter. Michael Porter's length on defense, so valuable. He was tiny next to Porzingis and, and made no impact. I'm not sure. If there's a player that Porzingis is like um, represents, maybe Anthony Davis. You know, if the Nuggets can play the Lakers, maybe it's like okay, it, it, does Denver have a physical matchup for a player like that? But Porzingis is just so unique and so different that I don't know if there's really too much to glean from that. But Denver did not look good trying to guard Porzingis at all this game. He got in foul trouble in the second half, and that kind of took him out of it. But um, as far as Denver's defense goes, no player was able to really disrupt him. And Aaron Gordon in particular, I thought his defense was rough in this game, and it's going to be one of the things we talk about in the next segment, but um, this was a game that had a lot of positive indicators for a lot of different nuggets. Aaron Gordon was one that I didn't think it had necessarily a ton of things that you look at and say, okay, that was phenomenal. I mean, he was four of six from the field. Actually, I should say he was two of three from the three-point line, and that was huge. He needs to make some shots, and I think it's important for him to get some momentum. I think the upcoming two games are going to be especially important to that when you talk about a Milwaukee who is likely to help off of him, especially help off of him, put um, Giannis on him, you know, Lopez on Jokic, Giannis is the roamer playing off of him. 
and dare him to make threes. It's going to be an important part of his game. And then you think about Philadelphia. I mean, I'm curious in that Philadelphia game if they go straight to Embiid guarding him and just completely ignoring him. And I'm curious to see if Denver is better prepared for that this time around. But one of the things he has to do is knock down threes. So him going two of three in this one, you hope that he can finish the season making that shot because it's going to be one that if he if you get in a round one and he makes that shot consistently, that strategy might become more of a like situational strategy of leaving him open. I don't know if it's a strategy teams will be comfortable going in if he has a good series. Um, so him knocking those shots down are, is important. But his you know, one rebound, one assist, one steal. He played 31 minutes. He was a plus 28, a game high. Um, we'll get into why here in a little bit. But for him, I just thought it was a little bit of a down game, especially defensively, where he felt he seemed a little demoralized for large stretches of it um, because, uh, you know, how ineffective he was basically in that that first stint and especially in that second quarter. The bench unit got worked. Um, it's the same bench. You know, Zeke Naji coming back from injury has now played two games in a row. Does that mean he's a lock to be there every night? I don't think so. But, you know, Denver, Michael Malone does not like to change things when a team wins. And Zeke Naji has come in there. I thought in the first game he had very good minutes. I thought in this game there wasn't a whole lot of notable things that he did. I mean, he plays for 12 minutes, has two points, two rebounds, and one turnover, three fouls. I mean, there was not a lot of stats. In fact, he did not shoot or did not make or attempt a field goal. He only shot two free throws. That's where he got his two points from. And then the two rebounds, of course, is a little on the low end. But – um, not, not Jeff Greenlow, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, he still was solid. And I think that it's clear that he is a has a skill set that is required there. You need a little bit of floor spacing. And hopefully, I mean, we haven't really seen him take threes. But hopefully, he'll be able to provide that. Um, and then just the switchability on defense has been big. Playing Jeff Green alongside him, um, you know, he seems to be the de facto. He's going in there now. We'll see if Malone mixes that up in the in a little bit. I, it's been well publicized. I know on, on, on the various podcasts that Jeff Green has now gone three games without grabbing a single rebound. I do think eventually Malone might have to look at that and say, hey, is this a problem for us? And then make a decision. But like I said, the Nuggets have found, I want to say they found a winning formula. I don't know if that's right because the games they've won have largely begins they were supposed to win. But they've won some games and I don't know if Malone is going to make another drastic bench move or if he's just going to try to ride this out. Um, but good news on that front. Christian Brown still in the rotation, still playing. And even though I didn't think he had a particularly good game either in this one, Malone still stuck with him. And I think that's just encouraging anytime a guy, uh, you know, you write it out like that. 16 minutes for Christian Brown, zero points, three rebounds, two assists. And that was it for him in the stock, in the stat category. Three fouls, um, but pretty unremarkable game from him. Uh, starters come back in in that second quarter and had low energy. And you kind of got worried watching that one like, oh, my God, here you are again. Um, you got a bad Wizards team that by all accounts should be down a lot. And here you are kind of playing with your food, not looking very motivated, whatever. Jamal Murray spoke up at halftime. Michael, Mike Singer, the Denver Post reported, had an article this morning um, talking about how M Murray spoke up at halftime saying, guys, is this what we're going to do again? Are we going to be playing this lackadaisical style and whatever? And kind of just calling the team out. It's time. It's time. There was Katie Wingy posted a video from practice yesterday for the Nuggets or two days ago uh, with Nikola Jokic, where she basically asked him, like, what does this team need to do now? And he was like, it, turn it on. It's time to go. Like, no more of this lollygagging. In the first half, the team did not turn it on. Um, that was a let's get through this game type of effort. Um, in the second half, though, maybe it was Murray's speech. Maybe it was the team collectively kind of saying, hey, hey, let's go. The third quarter was absolutely dominant. Maybe the most dominant quarter of the entire road trip. 
And it started with Michael Porter Jr. making shots. I mean, he was. It really started with Murray Porter and Jokic all hitting threes. Anytime all three of those guys knock down threes, some you know you're going to have a big. Um, it's going to take the offense to another level. Jokic in particular. I mean, look. I always say Michael Porter's threes hit a little bit different. They just feel so much more valuable because I think they kind of break your back as that third option. Um, but Jokic hitting threes, he doesn't take a lot of them, and especially against a rim protector that can't guard him. And that's how it was with Gafford. Like, Gafford cannot guard Jokic. He's very comfortable. So typically in those, Jokic won't take threes. He took them. Some of them are circumstantial in a shot clock. But when all three of those guys make threes, the lead starts to get momentum. But Michael Porter was making shots in that second half. He finished the game going six of nine from the three-point line. I love that we're seeing Michael Porter have these stat lines again, where if he takes nine threes, he's making four or more of them. Six of nine is an incredible rate uh, for, for threes at that volume. And six threes in a game is just, you know, that's just silly numbers. So it's great to see Michael Porter making shots again. Jamal Murray hurt his thumb in this one. And I'm kind of curious to see if there's lingering effects. It was his right hand, his shooting hand that he hurt. Um, he goes seven of 13 and three of six from the three-point line in this game. Had 17 points, six rebounds. And the six rebounds is kind of big. Five defensive rebounds. You know, talk about rebounding being part of what makes Denver good defensively. And you get everybody involved on the boards there. Michael Porter had seven rebounds. Jamal Murray had six. That's big. And then eight assists. I thought Jamal Murray found the right mix of looking for his shot and, and facilitating in this game. And it was a very good Murray performance, especially in that third quarter. And so I thought this was a really good one from the big three, you know, with Michael Porter being the third wheel there. 21 points for him, 31 for Yoke, 17 for Murray. There's the formula. All three guys scoring and scoring efficiently. Um, but the big news for me, and then obviously Jokic dominates. I mean, we get... Sometimes I go through a whole rundown and I won't even talk about Jokic. I mean, 31, 12, and 7 with three steals from Jokic. 12 of 16. One of those misses, he offensive rebounds and puts right in. He goes 2 of 3 from the three-point line, 5 of 5 from the foul line. He, he was phenomenal in this game. And I even thought his defense in the third quarter was excellent, was, was actually phenomenal. Not even just the third quarter. The starters had to come back in in the fourth. A little bit of funny business. Denver, I didn't think, played terribly with their bench in that second stint. But Denver did have like this 8-0 run that they coughed up in 30 seconds that made what was an 18-point game a 10 or 18-8 to eight or something like that. So it kind of made it seem like the game got closer than it, I think it actually was. Starters go in, play some defense and score again, and they immediately open it back up. The starters, plus 28 for AG, plus 28 for MPJ, plus 28 for Jokic, plus 22 for Murray, just plus 6 for KCP. And why is that? Well, in part because... The starters played 11 minutes, minus KCP. KCP played like six minutes, and then he subs out. Bruce Brown comes in uh, for him. But Malone rode that starting unit that was on a roll in the third quarter. He played him for 11 minutes. He did not sub him out till one minute left in the third quarter, and Denver had, a, I think, a 20-point lead or 18-point lead or something like that at that point. Um, and I liked it. I don't know if it was just a function. I think, I, In fact, if I were to guess, I would say it was most likely a function of that unit was rolling and Malone was just going to let it play. But the reason I like it is we all know the numbers. Denver starters have been phenomenal this season. The more you can play them, and obviously in a playoffs you're going to, the more you can play them, the more likely they are to get a role like this. Now, are they always going to be a plus 28 and get I don't, 28 to 10 run or whatever it is they had in that third quarter? Probably not. But I do wonder if we keep talking about staggering the bench and this or that. In the playoffs, your bench just isn't going to play that many minutes. You find the right guy to swap there. And if you find the right guy, I'm not sure Denver has, by the way, KCP, maybe it's him. I don't know. But you find the right guy. Can you afford to let those starters play an extra two minutes a quarter, first and third quarter? Uh, can you afford that? And if you can, the likelihood of them getting in a rhythm and, and going on a run goes up. 
And we just saw that last night. Denver's best punch looked like it had at its absolute peak this year. Yes, it was against a terrible team, but it was at least, at the very least, it was nice to see. I'll tell you guys about Ultimate Pro Basketball GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NBA GM and managing your basketball franchise? Well, your dream can come true. This game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team. Play through the season and lead your team to glory. You are responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants, trading and training players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want, when you want. Um, Locked On Nuggets listeners get 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure to check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com. Scan the code or look it up on the app store. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. We'll be right back with more Locked On Nuggets. Jack asks, when do you and Matt do a show together again? Uh, he's sick, so whenever he feels better. Uh, you guys heard him over the last couple of days starting to come down with it. Um, now it's hitting him kind of hard, and I'm, my guess is he'll probably be out a couple of days as he rests up. Um, and both of us, man, we got to rest up for this playoff run. Hopefully this is a long uh, playoff run coming up. You know, one of the things with the Nuggets on DNVR, we joked that last game was the last low-stakes game, maybe of our lives, but certainly of this year. Coming up, the Bucks game is going to be a measuring stick game. The 76ers game is going to be a revenge game and a narrative game. You've got the Suns after that. You've got the Warriors and Pelicans after that. The games are going to feel big. They're going to feel heavy. They're going to feel important. This Wizards game, Denver got a win. And even though we just broke it all down in the first segment, it was an unremarkable one, like a ho-hum one. So going forward from now all the way through the playoffs, every game is going to carry some kind of extra stakes for fans. And it's kind of funny, like, hope you enjoyed last night because that was the last time you're not going to be, like, sweating going into the second half or whatever. Uh, but let's talk about what we learned from the from this road trip that they went on. Or if you recall, coming into the trip, Denver was at kind of a season low, um, losing to the Spurs, losing at home to, uh, to the Bulls. Um, and then who else did they lose at home to? A couple Dropping a couple games that you thought, like, come on, man, this, you got to get these wins here. Oh, the Nets. Um, and just looking terrible, looking uninterested and defensively looking horrible. This road trip represented a stabilization for the Nuggets in a lot of ways. Going three and two, two of those wins were bad wins. You get Wizards and you get the, the Pistons, but you took care of business. I mean, Denver had lost to the Spurs. I mean, we, we're going to take bad wins when you're trying to steady yourself. The win against the Nets on the second night of a back-to-back -back was a very good win. I think a great win. And then being competitive, you know, they had the horrible first half against Toronto, but then they were competitive the rest of the game, and they had, you know, were very competitive against the Knicks. Shot didn't fall their way, and there were some mistakes there. But at least you saw the Nuggets look like the team we expect them to be, and getting closer. And I thought that grew as the trip went on. So I think that the chances that Denver is out of this funk that they were in are very high, and I think that's one of the important takeaways that'll really be tested now in this upcoming week as they play better competition and they get back home. But I still think it was a big one. But another thing we learned was Christian Brown has to play. 
And this was one, again, I think if we did takeaways, I think we probably did this exact episode four months ago where when Christian Brown first broke into the rotation and I declared he's in the rotation for good and I was wrong. He got pulled out and Malone experimented with some other guys later on. But I think that this late in the season, with the bench what it is and the struggles they've had, there are questions that remain, but I don't think Christian Brown is one of those. He brings length, he brings defense, and he brings energy. And that alone is like gets him past the threshold of when you look at all the other guys, what do you get out of them? That clears what you get out of any of the other players. That already clears. Is he going to get shot making? Who knows? Is he going to get mistakes? Is he going to get you know this or that? Who knows? But he's going to bring energy. He's going to bring length. He's going to bring defense. And that clears, and he's going to be I, – I suspect he will play every single game. And then as you get into playoffs, I suspect he will also play in – I don't know if I want to say every game, but probably as likely as anyone not named Bruce Brown to play – Especially in the backcourt to play in every game. Another thing, and he, by the way, I think Christian Brown has played well. He's got three games at home. Rookies and role players tend to play better at home. And I'm curious to see. I mean, he'll have an important role to play in both of these upcoming games. And I'm excited to see if he handles it. Um, Zeke Naji is back and in the rotation. Um, this one, obviously, we don't know. We'll see if Zeke Naji is actually back and playing every single game or if it's just like he's getting his turn now and we'll kind of evaluate. But him being back is big, especially when you think about Thomas Bryant wasn't working out. DeAndre Jordan had already kind of been axed out of the rotation. Uh, Jeff Green has been up and down. We'll talk about him in a second. He's provided some big sparks and he, you know, at moments, but he's also looked pretty pedestrian for most of it. And then Vlako Chanchar has not looked good, but hasn't really had a chance since coming back from, from his injury and his stint. So Zeke being an option here provides something different and so far has looked very good. I'm curious to see if he can maintain his defensive impact um, as they start to play tougher and tougher matchups. I mean, we're going to the, the upcoming games are going to be really interesting to see who gets the go and who doesn't. But Zeke being back is big. Um, and then I think it's clear to say the team was not locked in during that slump. I mean, I know this isn't you, you always wonder you get shook when you see your team play really poorly several games in a row. Like, did they lose their mojo? Um, are they tired? Are they banged up? Is there something going on behind the scenes? I think it's clear from how they've approached key sequences, including the third quarter against Washington. I think it's clear now that they were just in a slump. They were in a rut and that they have come out of it and are on the, on, in the process of coming out of it. And that's good to see. There's still nine games to go. There's still more ups and downs to be had for this team in the regular season. But it's just good to see them come out of that. And I think it'll be great to see them get a win of one of these good teams coming up. This big next one is big. It's maybe my favorite one. Michael Porter Jr. is ascending. Michael Porter Jr. to me is the most encouraging thing of the last five games. He has been unbelievable. His shot making has is returned. He had a, a, a stint there for a while where he was up and down, kind of inconsistent. Now he's back. If you recall at the beginning of the year, I just counted him making 50%. I think he made 50% of his threes or better in every game but one for the first like 15 games of the year or something like that. It was an unbelievably consistent and incredible shooting streak that he was on. He went through the middle part of the season where it was a little bit up and down. He would have good games. He'd have bad games. <clears throat> I think he's back to where his default setting is. If he's open or semi-open, he's going to make it, and he's shooting the ball with confidence. So Michael Porter Jr. ascending as a shot maker is so huge uh, for the Nuggets just as a floor spacer. But there's more. Michael Porter's athleticism looks better than ever. On this road trip, he collected a couple new posters, including you know maybe the best poster uh, of his season on Nikola Jokic. It was an incredible putback where he just looked incredible. He looks so athletic. He's getting to the rim. He's getting catching pin downs. 
He's handling the ball a little bit better. And I think there's reason to hope that Michael Porter can be more of an option and I'll t- in the off- in the flow of the offense. And I'll tell you, the numbers bear this out a little bit. It's not that pronounced, but you, I, hit, I think he went from like 17 a game, peaking around 18 in the middle of the season. And I think he's at 19 a game over this last little stretch. It hasn't been linear. I mean, there's been some peaks and valleys in that. But I'm just confident that Michael Porter is more comfortable in the offense and where he fits in and finding new ways to fit in. I mean, I did this on the list a little while back, but Porter's favorite action is the flare screen. When Jokic has the ball on the elbow or even on the block, he loves to set the flare screen um, so Jokic has it. If the defense doesn't bite on the flare, there's a skip pass for Jokic. But if they do, and they most teams will switch that, he's gotten so good at slipping and Jokic reads him on it. I mean, it feels like once a game, Jokic hits Porter on that flare slip action, and it's just a perfect way to integrate himself into weak side uh, offense. So he's really picking his spots better. I'm more confident in Michael Porter's sort of positive default contributions, meaning he's always been able to make shots and make plays that were spectacular, but it almost felt more chaotic, right? You don't know what you're getting from him, and sometimes it's awesome and sometimes it's not. Now it feels more controlled where you get the awesomeness. You get the like four of the third quarter where he makes four threes in a row. You still get that, but now you just feel like it's within the flow of the offense, and he knows what to do when the ball's not finding him, where to find the seams and do different things. And then defensively, I think he's learned how to use his length better than ever. He doesn't, I have some clips on my computer my computer died my laptop died and that's where i do most of my video editing i have a couple clips there of him um guarding in space against spencer dinwiddie and against some other guards where he does a good job of just using of trusting his size meaning i'm not going for steals i'm not leaping out to to contest or this or that i'm just trying not to let him get around me and if he does a step back i'm not trying to block it i'm just trying to get a hand up so that he has to like shoot over my you know the contest and to me that's how you guard like in today's NBA, it's too hard to try to get steals unless you're an elite defender like a Drew Holiday. It's too hard to be that handsy, and Michael Porter is not that guy. But what he is is super tall, and I like the way he's moving his feet and just making every shot 10% harder. I think that's the key for him to staying in the game and to breaking if teams try to ISO him over and over and again. Just make him make tough shots. Just make whoever it is. Devin Booker, he might go 10 of 14 uh on step back mid-range jumpers and you might lose but he also likely is only going to go six of 14 or seven of 14 and you're probably going to win so michael porter jr to me um there's just so many things to be positive about i think murray to me is still climbing and this road trip represents him being effective and i think getting a little bit better as it went on uh, I still want to see him get to the rim more, and I want to see him shake guys, just be a little bit quicker. He's not doing that. His footwork has been good, and his impact has been strong. He's had positive impacts in most of these games. But I still just want – I mean, for Denver to win a championship, Murray has to be able to break down the good defenders one-on-one. And this Wizards game was like a, a cakewalk. There weren't really good defenders to be able to throw at him. Um, but coming up, you got Drew Holiday coming up. For me, this is a huge Murray game. Murray with two days rest going against the second night of a back-to-back great Bucks defense, including Drew Holiday. I want to see if Murray is effective against him. Because earlier in the year, I would have said Murray's going to definitely be effective against any defender. Right before he got injured, he was so quick. He was so dynamic. He, it, Drew Holiday wasn't slowing him down very much. Um, right now, I'm not so sure. And that's why this will be a really good test for him. And then lastly, Aaron Gordon is in a rut. Um, his health is a question. We do this next segment. We're going to talk about the standings. How much time does Aaron Gordon need off 
Does he need any time off? What does he need? Um, but physically, he just hasn't been quite as imposing, especially on the offensive end, getting to the line, getting to the rim, dunking on guys, grabbing rebounds. He hasn't been doing that a lot lately. And even his defense has fallen off. So does he need time off? What does he need to get going? He's the one guy in the starting lineup. KCP's shooting has been up and down, but to me, that's this what shooters do. They go through ups, they go through downs, and they keep shooting. KCP, I'm not so worried about. Aaron Gordon, it looks like maybe something a little bit more, and I'm curious to see uh, how that plays out. Gonna tell you guys about FanDuel. Tournament is heating up. I love March Madness, I've, even though I lost like every single bet I made. The tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because customers, new customers, get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't hit. So your first bet is basically a free roll. Try it out, see what happens. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Uh, plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with same-game parlays. Those are always fun. I make one almost every single game. So don't miss a chance to get your no-sweat first bet on the one up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I see the chat is popping today. We've really developed a nice group of uh, listeners who almost always follow um, follow along as, as we're podcasting. I always say when I'm doing these solo, I don't have a chance to like go through every single one, but I'll go back and check these out after we're done recording and uh, see if there's anything I missed from you guys. Um, all right, let's go through some hard truths about the standings. Hard truths. Denver Nuggets are very likely to be the number one seed. And I don't think there's a whole lot that can change there. Although I shouldn't say that. Knock on wood. I mean, the Nuggets have a tough upcoming schedule, and they're only three games up on the Memphis Grizzlies. The big one is they are five games up on Sacramento Kings, five and a half overall games. That's a lot. So you basically have four games of wiggle room with the Grizzlies and five with the Kings. Now, if Denver went 0-9 down the stretch, I still think that there's a good chance that they would be the number one seed. So I, I say all that to say that, even if Denver, I mean, we're a little shook because they just came out of that losing streak, their worst of the year, four in a row and five of six or whatever it was, or six of seven. And so we're kind of like, well, anything's possible. But even if they did that, the Grizzlies would still have to go, what, nine and oh, nine and one maybe down the stretch just to be able to catch Denver. Like it would still take a lot to, uh, for them to catch. So I say that to say Denver is almost certainly going to be the one seed. There is a chance, though, they get to the very end in Sacramento. That game matters, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But here's the bad news. Look at the standings. Phoenix Suns are five games down from Sacramento. They're not catching Sacramento. But they're also three games up on the seven seed, so they're very likely to be four, five, or six. I think with 34 losses, the Clippers right behind them at 35 and the Warriors two behind them at 36 – I think the Phoenix Suns are extremely likely to be the four or the five seed. They're, of course, playing right now very shorthanded. Last night, they didn't have DeAndre Ayton or Kevin Durant. Um, they won't have Kevin Durant for another little bit. <clears throat> I think they are very likely to be the four seed or the five seed. Um, and that means that Denver is likely to play them in the second round. Fully healthy. You know, you get Kevin Durant back. Now, how healthy will he be? How integrated will he be? That team will still be on the fly. But you hope that you would avoid some of the good teams till the conference finals. That does not appear to be the case. Denver almost certainly going to play them. Now, who are the Suns going to play? Could be the Clippers. Right now, the 4-5 is the Clippers. But the Golden State Warriors are right behind them. I actually think this is a good thing. And, and by the way, 538, I think, projects all three of those teams to have the same record. 
So Clippers, Warriors, Suns, yeah, are all projected to be 43 and 39, which is kind of fun. I don't know who would have tiebreakers in those situations. That's where we really need Matt Moore. He knows all of these off the top of his head. Um, but the Suns are likely to be there, and then you're talking about the Clippers or the Warriors. Now, the good news is I think that both of those teams have a realistic shot at beating the Suns. The Warriors right now are down bad in that Andrew Wiggins is not with the team. Nobody in the public sphere really knows why, um, you know, personal matter. But it's one of those things where if he doesn't come back, they have no hope. They have no hope. Their entire season rides on whether or not Andrew Wiggins returns to their team. So they got Steph Curry and all, you know, they, this, this season, like the Warriors fans are billing this as what is the, uh, the last dance, you know, the, the documentary with the bulls in 98, tried one last one for the, for the dynasty, the Warriors are building it as that. And they have a player right now who is dealing with something off the court and won't return. If he returns, I think the Warriors have a realistic chance at beating anybody. And as in particular, the Phoenix Suns, because they have historically owned Chris Paul. There's so much blood, you know, bad blood there. And there's just a lot of like, you talk about, okay, well, the Warriors best punch is going to be really dynamic. And they sort of already have the mental advantage over the Phoenix Suns. So if that's the four or five, I think it's great for Denver, even though you're almost you're guaranteed to play a very tough team in round two. At least you get two teams that that eliminate each other. The other option is the Clippers. Now, the Clippers just lost Paul George. If you listen to me long enough, you know I'm higher on Paul George than most people. I just think Paul George is a great player. Um, is he like a winner? I don't know. He kind of he has choked a lot in the playoffs in big moments, and that's part of the equation. I'm not trying to discount that. But I think default, like what kind of player is he? Just like what, how talented is he? I think he's way more talented than most people think. And I look at that Clippers team and I go, what does Phoenix Suns have? They have pick and roll and they have a bunch of ISO scoring. Well, if you switch everything, if you have a bunch of long wings, then the pick and roll becomes significantly less impactful. And then if you have good one-on-one -on -one defenders, ISO becomes a lot less impactful. I think the Clippers are a great matchup for the Suns. And if those two teams fully healthy lined up, I think it's a coin toss. I think that the Clippers have a very good chance of beating them. And, of course, we all know that Nuggets love the Clippers matchup, so that could be very good for Denver. So my hope is that the Clippers and Suns match up in the first round because I think I might pick the Clippers in that one, especially with KD. If he doesn't come back until the playoffs, what a mystery box that becomes for the Suns, and I like that. But either way, you're looking at Denver and saying that second-round matchup is going to be a tough one, a very tough one, and one that Denver might be an underdog in even though they are a one seed. Um, and again, some of this is just Vegas knows what the po population votes. And like, if they go up against the Warriors, the population, uh, the, you know, people betting are going to bet on the Warriors. So they're going to move the lines more, you know, to, to make it more favorable. Um, let's go to the other part of this, uh, this other part of this, the Lakers are very likely to be in the play-in. I mean, they are currently tied in the loss column for nine, 10, 11, and 12. The Pelicans, Jazz, Lakers, and Mavericks all have the same number of losses. The Jazz and Pelicans have one less win. Um, the Lakers just making it in, it's just, it's just so likely at this point, two of those teams don't make it, but the rest do. And then if you look at the Timberwolves, also 37 losses and the Thunder 36 losses, these teams play each other, uh, down the stretch and the Lakers right now are surging in large part because Anthony Davis is playing phenomenal basketball, phenomenal basketball, defensive monster and knocking down his shots, attacking with confidence and playing with energy. And LeBron James isn't even back yet. That is a team to me that I look at and I go, there's a really good chance that the Nuggets are just going to play them. I've said this for months, and it continues to be true that that could be the first-round matchup, and I think that's a really, really tough first-round matchup if that's the one they get. Um, then you look at the Mavericks. They're also likely to be in the play-in. I'm not sure if the Mavericks are good or not. You know, they haven't played a lot of games with Luka and Kyrie. 
they've been one of the more inconsistent teams. The thing I'll say about the Mavericks is they have Luka Doncic, they have Kyrie, that's two amazing players, and their variance is going to be so high. I think they are a team that can beat the best teams and lose to the worst teams. And if they're in the play-in and they fall to eight, I just think that's also a tough first-round matchup, even if it's one of the ones I would definitely take for Denver if that's what, what happened. And then you look at the final games, you know, Utah right now in the 11 seed, Lakers in the 10. One interesting thing about Denver is they play at Utah the second to last game of the year. I'm telling you right now, I think Denver will throw that game if they are in position to. If it does not affect their own positioning and, you know, the one seed, if it doesn't affect that, I think Denver will throw it. They play Sacramento at the la- at the end of the year. They might throw that one too, not for any reason, but they just might say, hey, we're shutting our starters down for the last two games. We all talk about rest, rest, rest. I don't know if Denver's going to rest their key guys from now until then, but I do think that if they're posi- in position to rest their key guys, they will in those second to last games. Losing to the, the, the Jazz just gives the Jazz one extra automatic win and makes it a little bit harder on the Lakers, if not eliminates them. I mean, my dream scenario, I'm such a Laker hater. I would love to beat the Lakers in the first round. But I think I would love even more to eliminate the Lakers by tanking to the Jazz. Oh, boy, would that make Lakers fans so mad. Uh, if the Nuggets throw a game against the Jazz, and because of that, the Lakers are eliminated from the playoffs, it would be too good. Um, but that's a thing that Denver might do at the end of the year. And to be honest with you, why not? Why not? Um, Denver also plays the Warriors. I, I just wonder how much Malone is going to do this. I don't think Malone – Malone is not above. We know this from the past that he will – throw a game if it's going to help out the seating for the Nuggets. Would they do that, though, against like a Warriors team? If you're looking at that Warriors and they're fighting for the five seed and you want them there because you want them to beat the Suns, would you throw a Warriors game? Probably not, but we'll see. And then you got the Phoenix Suns one. You know, if there's the, the Warriors have been so good at home, almost as good as Denver, one of the best teams at home in the NBA. Maybe as good as Denver, actually. What is their home record here? 23, no, uh, 29 and 7. Denver 30 and 6. So right there, second best third best uh, home record. Memphis has the best home record actually. That's that's surprising. So the Warriors 29 and 7 at home and only 9 and 29 on the road. It's possible if Denver beats Phoenix twice and loses to the Warriors that the Warriors might actually get home court in that series which would boost their odds even more. So a lot of these interesting games and it'll be curious to see. I again, I don't think Denver will be thinking about it that far out. I don't think you start playing with standings until the final two games but I do expect them to do that for the Utah Jazz. So the standings right now, the Lakers can be the sixth seed. No joke, they're only a half game back, a game and a half back of the sixth seed with a, with nine games to play. Uh, and they could be out of the play entirely. The Pelicans, same thing. The Warriors, same thing. I mean, it's crazy to think, but the Warriors could be the, you know, the bottom half of the play-in with where they're at right now. Or they could be the four seed. That so much things can change. But I think the odds of the Nuggets playing a very, very, very good team, one of the best teams in the West in round two, is almost a lock. And the odds of them playing the Lakers in the first round is really, really high. That's it. Hit the like button for me on the way out, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see if Matt's feeling better. Hopefully he is. Um, and if he is, we'll do it together. If not, I'll fly solo or find a guest. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow on Lockdown News.